Greetings. Tonight, we're going to shake things up a bit. But first, welcome back to the Black and Grim podcast. We, Grim and I, are glad you've returned for another episode of Danny's River. Tonight's episode comes with a trigger warning. There lies profanity and torment within this verbal landscape. But that is not why it is different. We have crossed the halfway point for season one. This work of fiction is meant to touch on the darkest recesses of the human spirit, where hopelessness and fear hold court. For Danny, we've watched him delve deeper into despair. I ask you, dear listener, that as you gather close, hold vigil for our young hero. And now, we start episode six of Danny's River. Children maintain hope that life will show them kindness. The monsters beneath their beds or creeping from shadowy closets are nothing more than figments. Their mommies and daddies adore them, and whether they share belief in the perceived monsters or not, do their best to protect them. Children believe the hero prevails, and when all is said and done, the witch's curse can and will be broken. Childhood's illusions almost always see the final curtain call. Age and cynicism often go hand in hand. Experience steals the magic, and time illuminates the hero's failures. As I floated somewhere between battered consciousness and nightmarish unconsciousness, some secret part of me, a piece I had previously overlooked, understood that I currently existed somewhere between childhood and adulthood. I didn't believe in heroes, but I knew, God, how I knew, monsters existed. Mine stared through a broken windshield as I wove in and out of consciousness. A distant siren screamed in the night. Falling glass shattered around me. Rhythmic clinks echoed through the topsy-turvy world surrounding us. Blackness wrapped ephemeral fists around my vision. With each pulse, I saw Kara's head lolled downward onto her shoulder, and Todd reached through the shattered window for the belt keeping me pinned to the seat. A loud groan filled my ears. It took several heartbeats to realize the sound fell from my own bloody lips. Agonizing pain spread across my face as reality rooted more firmly. At some point, my mouth must have slammed against the dashboard. Reminiscent of childhood fistfights, crimson drooled from my swelling lips, and though I doubted I had broken it, my nose hurt like hell. Heat flooded my midsection, hinting I probably cracked a rib or two, maybe even broke something. Hello, Daniel, the man said again, reclaiming my attention. F-fuck you. I tried to say it, but my words staggered on torn lips and sounded pitifully juvenile. 
Even my glare lacked appropriate venom as one eye steadily swelled to blur my vision. Frantically, I struggled against my seatbelt. The belt wouldn't unlock. The button refused to yield. Turning my head, I saw the store's dark linoleum floor and, as I wasn't in a sensible mental state, found myself wondering whose business we had wound up in. This question quickly died when my eyes and attention refocused on the murderer standing over us. Kara, I tried to say. You shouldn't have involved her, son. Pity. He spoke with fucking pity. Drawing on all my hurt and hatred, I managed to coherently snarl. I'm not your son, motherfucker. Danny, a voice whispered in my ear. What do you want? I screamed at Todd and the ghost. The murderer cocked his head, his expression cycling between annoyance and curiosity. He jostled Kara's door to no avail. During one of the rolls, the driver's side had crumpled somewhat, which probably meant we would require the jaws of life. Additionally, he couldn't access the front windshield as the truck had rolled between some heavy-duty shelving units. The sirens grew louder, must have tripped an alarm when we had crashed, and the man leaned back to look into the street. Tears filled my eyes as I struggled, screaming with terrified frustration to unhook my seatbelt. I rocked violently. Given any other context, imagine a child throwing a temper tantrum. Provided with my own context, I just want it free. Calm, Danny. It will be alright. The ghostly voice soothed. I refused to give up, to let this piece of shit get us. But Kara's limp form hung beside me, within arm's reach of a man who would probably kill her just to elicit a reaction from me. So I did something stupid. I reached upward and, far too quickly, found the button to release her. And you know what? The button yielded with a satisfying click. This particular sound immediately preceded my own gasp when I watched her seatbelt snap across her chest and, more importantly, her tumble downward onto me. Amazingly, I caught her before she managed to pin me against the passenger window. Above us, Todd snarled. The sound held a primal thickness and had I not been paying attention, I might have thought a wild dog had gotten into the store. Additionally, Kara's fall appeared to rouse her. A pained moan oozed from her mouth as those beautiful eyes fluttered open. Her limbs flailed about. A fist struck my temple with such force, fireworks flared through my vision. The sideways world swam around me. Her head turned enough for our eyes to meet, for me to see the panic with my one good eye. Carol struggled to get as far away from Wilkinson as she could. Strong legs kicked at the seats, and when they managed to procure leverage, she used it to push herself downwards across my lap until her back impacted with the floor. Pain spread across my chest as the seatbelt tightened, but unconsciousness seemed closer, more willing to claim me. Her semi-conscious battery served almost no purpose other than to spread the seething agony in my midsection. Although we were, in actuality, perpendicular to each other, my hands darted to her waist and mouth, to her waist in full hearty hope I could suppress the wild thrashing, and her mouth 
an attempt to smother the terrified shriek barging from her bruised throat. My own dizziness prompted dangerous swooning, causing the world to ripple as we made eye contact. Don't, I slurred. He, he'll get us. I think I spoke these words, maybe. I honestly can't say with supreme confidence. My thoughts were generally cloudy, but one thread managed to press through with serrated clarity. Too much time seemed to pass. Why hadn't Todd grabbed us yet? Moreover, where were the police? Didn't we hear their sirens? My head swiveled towards the shuttered driver's window to the horrible face glowering down at us as we lay trapped in Kara's pickup. I attempted to speak and say what I don't know when the pressure released from my chest. A shrill cry escaped my lips and I released my grip as I toppled sideways. My hip banged against the door handle, sending more pain through me. Kara fell onto me, pinning my arm against the battered door. As the spinning star settled around my head, I realized she had managed to unlock my seatbelt while I focused on our attacker. What? Uh, what it? An elbow dug into my ribs as I tried to readjust her position. All the while, her eyes, which regained coherence with each passing moment, did not move from the man. Danny, she whispered. Her pupils dilated and I felt her hammering hard against my chest. Kara shifted enough for her vision to encompass our attacker, still looming above us and me. Not, Not his eyes, Danny. Look, look away. At first, I thought Kara uttered this command. Then, when I saw those blue eyes imploring me, I knew it wasn't. But nor did it sound like a single person. Instead, I heard two voices overlaying one another, stronger than before, firmer. They spoke as a parent might. Shut up, shrieked the thin-faced man as he pushed himself up onto the driver's door. The crumpled metal groaned beneath his weight. My vision blurred. I hadn't averted my gaze. Instead, our eyes met. Our eyes met? But it wasn't humanity glowering at me. Instead, as my companion loosed a wail reminiscent of the wind through dry willows, I witnessed a horror ushered from the swampy depths of childhood imaginations. Part feral serpent, more ancient ravenous evil, Todd Wilkinson trapped me with his predatory stare. As he reached through the bowed frame, my tenuous hold on reality warped and collapsed in on itself. No obsidian void claimed me. Instead, brilliant opalescence engulfed us. I saw, without really seeing, the thing which was Todd, yet wasn't, shrink back from the light. Clawed hands shielded its face. Shadowy fingers shrunk in the light, as if they had been stretched nearly to their breaking point and were only now returning to normal. Somehow, the light removed tangibility, allowing me to see through the wrecked automobile. A figure, perhaps two, stood in front of the destroyed store window, and though I couldn't see their features, I knew they were facing our attacker. Be gone, monster. One of the figures spoke, its voice a familiar timbre, the ghost voice, my father's voice, my mother's voice their voices. He's mine. 
I will have him now. Todd hissed. Through the maddening glow, I saw him attempt to draw closer to us, but the light billowed threateningly. No, the voice said. He has never been yours, nor ever shall be. Danny, Kara whispered in my ear, shaking me, attempting to rouse me from the stupor I'd been thrust into. Above us, Todd struggled to stand, to push aside the light so he could claim me, but whatever magic or power existed in the white glow, it proved strong enough to contain him. He roared and spewed profanities, yet he didn't return to the open window. Instead, he circled the ghostly figure, beating his chest, throwing his arms out in defiance, but ultimately surrendering. He is mine! Todd screamed a final time before he fled out into the street. The spectral figure tilted its head towards me, and despite remaining in my metal tomb, I knew we saw each other. Quietly, the voice said, You were never his. Never. never. I woke to a vibrant, luminescent flicker. Machines buzzed and whirred around me as the miasma droned on. At first, I thought I was dead, and considering the harsh yellow-white glare, this was heaven. Then, pain set in. Not the sharp, specific pain I felt in Kara's truck. No, I felt the dull, heavily medicated ache of a guy who had landed knee-deep in a world full of shit. Ah, not heaven. Hell, then. Well, the local hospital, anyway. Bandages tightly wrapped my torso in a rather skilled attempt at modern mummification. My eyes permitted nearly total vision, revealing the swelling had apparently diminished in the side of my face that struck the dashboard. Still, my head throbbed unpleasantly, and soreness tinged every discernible inch. Later, I would learn I'd cracked two ribs, gotten a concussion, needed stitches where my shoulder struck and shattered glass, and achieved a patchwork mismatch of cuts, scrapes, and bruises. Most importantly, however, I was alive. You awake? Good. A warm, vaguely familiar voice spoke as hands gently pressed against my bare shoulder. Blinking several times to clear my vision, I struggled to turn my head to see my visitor. Calm, it's Anne. Kara's mother. I hope you'll understand when I tell you I didn't immediately register or recognize the name. The last few days stretched the limits of my cognizance beyond its usual boundaries. The kindly female offered a warm matronly smile in response to my own consternation and waited for my mind to stumble through her words towards recognition. When it clicked, my cheeks warm with embarrassment, but I asked, Why are you here? Where's... is Kara alright? Panic shot adrenaline through me as I started to remember the car crash. Struggling to sit up, I fought the pain, not to mention my escalating terror. Anne, however, pressed a calming palm against my chest and commanded me, albeit with a mother's tenderness, to settle. Kara is alright, Danny. My heart tapped thundering rhythms against my chest. I didn't want to believe her, or... More likely, I couldn't accept her words, at least not until I peer into her stern face and hard eyes 
that asked why she'd lie about her own daughter. My hands moved to my chest to touch the wounded flesh and slow my pulse enough to assuage discomfort. As tension eased, my muscles loosened and my spine returned to a relatively relaxed position. Sadly, my adrenaline rush had managed to dilute some of the pain medication, so I started to lose focus. She's in a nearby room. You've been here for a couple of days and... Well, we were all worried when you didn't wake up. She glanced towards the closed door, leading out to the ward's hallway, as if expecting someone to barge in at any moment. Your friend is nearby. He's been holding vigils since the wee hours of the morn. Since I was here, keeping care of company, I sent him on home to get some rest, so I could talk to you, you see. Instead of waiting for a response, she turned towards the empty chair in the room's far corner. I wasn't in intensive care, and luckily had been afforded a private room. Normally, I'd have been grateful for the privacy, but considering recent events, I wasn't completely certain this woman, despite earlier kindness, didn't have ill intentions. More, Anne's movement never positioned her so she'd have her back to me. The scene reminded me of nature documentaries where the antelopes were milling around the watering hole and the damn crocodile pops out of nowhere to eat the son of a bitch. And I was the antelope. You're not gonna hurt me? I asked meekly, stupidly. Anne's brackish laughter echoed throughout the small room as she brought the chair next to a stop next to my shoulders. Tears squirted from her closed eyes as her entire body shook with unbridled mirth. For myself, my eyes darted around to the medical equipment littering my side of the room and the medical charts and white boards adorning other surfaces. I even glimpsed my duffel propped on the cupboard next to a closed tan door. Presumably this led to a bathroom as I knew the room's main door was three feet back and to the left. No. I have no intention of hurting you, son. You've been given hurt in the last lifetimes, and I don't mean to add to that. Not if I can help it. She settled down in the uncomfortable-looking chair and, folding her hands across her lap, scrutinized me with unsettling bluntness. What do you want, then? First, I want to talk to you a little bit. Then, if you're not too angry with what I tell you, I got something I want to give you. Something your ma, rest her soul, saw in my shop. I meant to give it to her for she... Well, I meant to give it to her. Moisture soured on my tongue. I wanted to respond in anger. It certainly feel more gratifying than being afraid. Shallow, fleeting responses to situations beyond my control. Ultimately, I grudgingly motioned for her to continue to spill her secrets. Also, it would be great for a nurse to come through the door to check vitals or whatever. They are evils in this world civilized folks won't ever understand, she began. Years back, not too long after I opened up the shop, I met your mama for the first time. She just moved back this way, see? How much do you know about the years before you was born? I searched my memories. Surely I knew about my mom's childhood, about the years leading up to my birth. But I didn't really. Sure, I knew things about her, unlike her parents, where she had grown up, what she was like before high school, and yet expansive gaps encapsulated long periods of time, such as her late teens and early twenties. Hell, I hadn't even thought to ask where she had gotten her undergraduate degree. I knew where she had gotten her masters in nursing 
and various certifications. I just didn't remember where she had started. This didn't seem right. I know I can be pretty self-involved, but I thought my family had always been a little more open about things. She must have detected my turmoil, because Anne said, It's easy to hide some truths when folks got a lifetime of memory to share. We get lost in the growing and sometimes we keep the terrible from our loved ones. Not because we don't trust them. Not even because we don't think they're strong enough. No, child. It's because there are some wounds that run so deep. If we talk about them, we'll unravel. I'm not doing a good job at explaining things. I can see your distrust plain as day and while it saddens me, I absolutely understand. If you'll bear with me, I have a point. Promise. She drew in a haggard breath, then freeing it with slow deliberation as she went on. I met your mother after she left a tiny mountain town nestled in the woods some few dozen miles north or northwest of Black Mountain. Once or twice over the years, I tried to find it on the map. Even did some damn internet searches too. But I haven't ever managed to locate it. For the longest time, I figured it was just too tiny to warrant outside attention. Anyway, Kara's mom tapered off again. She rubbed a thumb over four reddish lips while she thoughtfully regarded me. Do you know anything about my shop, Danny? It's some kind of new age mumbo jumbo for hippies or wannabe pagans. I blurted without thinking. She laughed with such open mirth, I knew she hadn't taken offense to my words. I suppose that's one way of looking at it. For folks like Nadia, it's a sanctuary. It's a warded place where they can leave the secrets the wider world might shun them for and find talismans to fight against those secrets. For others, it can be a place to find the herbs they need for their beliefs. Understand something. That mumbo-jumbo, as you call it, is powerful stuff to those who believe in it. And your mom, she believed in the white magics. I wanted to argue, to condemn this insanity. Rational-mindedness lauded a sane world where the monsters were relegated to cinematic universes. I couldn't dismiss what I had seen on the video Scott and I had seen in my bedroom. And I couldn't rationalize what happened in Kara's truck either. Or could I? Didn't all this madness indicate I was steadily unraveling? As if on cue, the matronly woman smoothed her burgundy blouse with two steady hands. She reached into a hip pocket, to a hard, disc-shaped object. Rather than show me, she clutched it tightly against her lap. I heard about Todd Wilkinson a long time ago. Except when I heard tell of him, he went by another name. Comrade Brett. I perked up at this revelation and filed it away for further investigation. He raped your mom long ago in that town with no name, stole something innocent from her, and showed his real face. You've seen his true face, haven't you, Danny? Violent shudders painfully racked my body as I remembered the snake-like thing cowering in the light. I had seen something all right, but was it the murderer's real face or some distortion caused by a concussion. I heard you tell Kara about what you found in your house. Voices carry and I didn't mean to listen, but I'm glad I did. You haven't ever been his. You were never his. Never. I remember the ghostly figure saying, never his. 
never. Blinking, I realized Anne had said something else, which I hadn't caught. Sorry, what did you... I said, Nadia came to my shop when she fled that place. Fled from him. She told me there had always been something about this town that drew her. Maybe it was the river. You know, Wata has a pool all its own, and it knows who hears its call best. I think Nadia, she was one of those souls. Maybe you're one too. Mayhap that's why you were there to save my girl. I stared, dumbfounded, at the far wall. Consternation carved ageless grooves into my battered features. Shadows danced from stray sunbeams as the sun tried to peek through drawn blinds. A menacing chill permeated the room, prompting me to clutch the heavy white blankets. A shadow knight fled from a particularly sword-like slice of light as I hauled the coarse fabric higher. Too slowly, it covered my chest and settled just below my bruised chin. That man stole peace from her. You must remember, there were a series of murders up and down the parkway around this time. Bad ones, too. Young men and women. As she spoke, my thoughts flashed to Todd's letter about him mentioning a string of murders up and down the highway. They had been partially eaten and, and bite marks riddled what flesh they had left. Most reports claim wild beasts. You know, bears, mountain lions, even wild dogs harm the corpses. My thoughts returned to the mysterious video where I'd seen a monstrous fiend eat my dad. An involuntary shudder wriggled down my prone form, riddling my frame with horrible agony. The drugs were wearing off now, so my eyes squeezed too tightly to rein it all in and, in doing so, forced sharp teardrops to offend my haggard face. Cannibalism exists in many cultures. Flesh eaters inhabit some of our cinematic myths and those belonging to the old worlds. In our stories, Hansel and Gretel for one, and Baba Yaga for another. Ah, but they are beings who exist beyond our fictions, beyond our myths and folklores. Beings like your Ty Wilkinson. You're fucking kidding me. Ignoring me, she continued. Nadia Preston glimpsed these things. I tell you the creature who raped her, who tried to possess her, I tell you his name was Comrade Brett at the time. Before he had others. His kind always has names and faces to discard as time presses on. We call him by our notions of gender. We identify him by our notions of what is human. He was no human man, Danny. Not born of our flesh and filled with our blood. No, he is a snake. Well adapted to this modern environment of ghosts and forgotten people. What the hell? I... Come on. You can't expect me to believe any of this. Do you want me to tell you how a vile monster stalked your mother, befriended her, and constructed events so he could violate her when she needed someone? That the reason she did not go to the authorities is because in the moment he released? You know what I mean by this. The instant he released, his true face showed through. Do you want to know that she fled to the only place she ever felt truly safe? And 15 years later, after this monster had changed his name and his face, he found her again? Do you really want to know this, Daddy? There was a cruelty to her question. Not so much in her tone, and not so much in her expression stony contempt. 
No, the cruelty existed in already knowing parts of this story. Please, please stop. I whimpered, clutching my blanket's inner folds, as if these cheap hospital covers held enough power to shield me from my nightmare. Why are you telling me this? Why? I love you for saving my daughter's life, Daniel Preston, and I hate you for it too, because you saved her from the river, only to introduce her to a monster she isn't prepared for. Then why the hell are you here? Why show me any of the kindness you've shown me? Why let me spend time with Kara in the first place if you hate me? Angry tears sprang to my face, and I, too frustrated to do anything but glower at her, refused to wipe them away. Because mine's a mother's hate, a desire to keep my baby safe from the evils this world offers. That monster thinks he done claimed you, boy. For your mother's sake, I can give you protections. An amulet I never managed to give to your mother. I'm not his, I whispered. I never was. She cocked her head, thoughtfully. Wordlessly, this woman, who had done no more than agitate all the ugly thoughts swarming around my head, laid a wooden amulet next to me on the bed. At first, I only regarded a silly wooden circle. Closer inspection displayed a rich, dark reddish-brown hue. It gleamed in the room's natural light. Carved into the otherwise smooth surface, a blue line branched, almost tree-like, from one side to the other. When I looked more closely, the blue seemed to flow, to pass through the lines, like a river. Suddenly sure it was a river, I uncovered my hands and lifted the piece to my nose. To my surprise, the amulet was heavy, roughly the weight of my cell phone. Mesmerized, I traced my hands over the slick wood, and to my shock, felt lettering seared into the wood. I turned it over and over in my palms, but my naked eyes detected nothing beyond the river. You're feeling something, yes? I nodded. It's a, well, you might call it a spell or a ward. It's an old language, handed down to my family from the dark times when we ran from the hunters in Europe. It just means that the river and her children will protect you from evil, that she will hear your call as long as you bear her mark. That's just mumbo jumbo. So you said. Your mother did not ask this thing for herself. She asked this for you, to keep the monster from claiming you. You see, Nadia believed in an eternal war between good and evil. That's one of the many reasons the people here cherished her. It's easy to deny all I say. It's easy to dismiss it, cause she ain't here to correct me or defend herself. You said something earlier. That town mom told you about, the one you couldn't find, do you remember its name? I don't know why, but this is the thing I couldn't shake. It doesn't matter what its name is, she said, a little too briskly. It does. Why does it matter? Do you know? I hate trying to guess where the pieces are going to fit in. Schemes upon schemes upon schemes. You're not protecting anyone by withholding information. Really? You're just adding to the distrust I already got for you. I gulped down my frustration and tried again. Bitterly and with no small effort, I laid the amulet down between us. Agony accompanied the movement, but I managed to turn away from her and direct my swimming vision towards the closed bathroom door. 
Knowing this name won't do you any good. It's a ghost town. A dead place. There ain't nothing left there except bad memories and angry shades. I, I told you I couldn't find it on no map. Or, well, anywhere. Well, that's not true precisely. Not in the least. Nadia asked me to ride with her once. Not too long after she first entered my shop. She said she needed a believer to come. To come make sure some doors stayed closed. I rode back to regard this woman with an ever-increasing feeling of intrusiveness. My narrowed eyes studied the full black face, searching for unkindness in the narrowed eyes and prim lips. I watched her throat drift up and down as she swallowed some invisible, presumably vile lump. Just another piece of normality. Vague thoughts of absent medical personnel slogged through my mind. Why hadn't anyone come to check my vitals yet? Not for the first time, I wondered how this strange woman got into my room without someone stopping her. Despite all these thoughts, I addressed the scene with silence. I always liked her, and we shared a bond that never blossomed into deep friendship. Nadia continued to frequent the shop over the years, and we shared stories of our children. Stories like when you were learning how to ride your bike and ended upside down in a low-hanging tree branch. Stories like Kara learning how to paint using her living wall as a canvas. She chuckled. Despite my embarrassment, I didn't detect any malice in the laughter. Alas, wounds don't always heal. We don't always get the benefit of healing together or sharing the memory of, of, of a painful experience. She stood to move around and stretch her legs. The frustrated woman traipsed back and forth the narrow walkways surrounding my hospital bed. I even heard her legs pop as she settled her weight on them. A couple awkward minutes tread past before Anne returned to her seat, seeming worse for wear. You want to know what we saw, eh? I nodded. Yes, I wanted to know. I drove into those mountains, thinking we'd find no more than racist hillbillies. Black folk weren't always welcome outside populated regions, and we show one safe where every other house waved their Confederate flag so damn proudly. But Nadia Preston had this way about her. She could talk you into conquering the whole world if she wanted. And she genuinely cared about people. I didn't think too hard about it when she asked me to come. Jerry was off on a business trip, promoting his latest book or lecture series. I can't remember which right offhand. In those days, we helped folks in need. The weather wasn't too bad for a trip across the state, which was pretty great considering this is before everybody had a cell phone and you had to pay an arm and a leg for long-distance calls. So there we were, cruising through the Carolina countryside, stopping every now and again to fill up on gas and empty our tanks. We drove a good stretch lost in our own thoughts. Me, I didn't want to spook her caused her to want to turn back and not face whatever demon she had been holding on to. A heaviness blanketed us though, a foreboding weight we couldn't drive fast enough to outrun. Finally, after two long hours through the flattest land I'd ever seen, she starts talking to me. Annie, she says, you ever seen the devil or any kind of devil? Now I'm a believer in things most good Christian folk like to pretend don't exist but I wasn't too sure what she was getting at. I'm sitting there, hands on the steering wheel, asking myself what I'd gone and stumbled into. What's the town's name? I demanded. 
I knew she carried a story worth telling. But that name, the town's goddamn name, that's what I wanted. An audible, infinitely weary sigh filled the space between us. It joined into the mechanical song played by all the medical equipment and the labored, tuneless breathing dripping from my own mouth. I saw an unwillingness to share, to not skip ahead and reveal the punchline. But my pain steadily increased, and as she had been talking, my hand managed to find the nurse's call button. Hopkins Cove. The town was called Hopkins Cove. But Danny, that's when the door opened and the nurse pushed the heavily laden metal cart into the room. Frowning, Anne glanced towards the newcomer, and then to my hand, which clutched the call switch. Her mouth pressed into a thin line, and I noticed her hands clenched into angry fists as she shoved them into her pockets. The nurse, a stocky young woman with a short boyish haircut and blocky eyeglasses slipping down her button nose, hadn't noticed Anne yet. I see our guy has... Oh, hello? Are you supposed to be in here? She asked, finally registering Kara's mother. Aren't you with... Kara Douglas, my daughter. She was in the car crash with this young man, Anne said, motioning to me. I just wanted to thank him. Oh, okay. Well, you can't be in here right now. I need to check the patient's vitals now that he's awake. Despite her words maintaining a professional politeness, I caught the threatening undercurrent. As did Anne. She met my eyes a final time. In that instant, with the words left unspoken between us, I knew I'd never learn the rest of her story. While time had, for a short span, been on my side, it steadily slipped away. Even so, as the nurse maneuvered the cart to one side, thereby making room for her to leave, Anne leaned over me to whisper some final advice. Be safe, Danny. Kara's going home today and... I expect this is the last time we'll talk. Keep the amulet close. If nothing else, do that for me. And then, nodding to the nurse, she departed. The rest of my hospital visit went as you might expect. Medical personnel came and went. Scott and his mom returned sometime before the fresh dose of morphine shuttled me off to Sleepyland. An officer, one who had been at my house the night Mom and Walt were murdered, took my statement sometime when the fog wasn't too heavy. All in all, I lay in bed, thinking about Anne's words and clutching the wooden amulet to my side. Kara never visited, and by the time I was able to leave my room, she had already checked out. I understood her mother's distress, yet I found myself wanting to see the pretty young artist. I attempted to convince myself it was just to see how she made it out in the wreck. In actuality, I wanted to bask in those violent aqua eyes and draw out the near-perfect smile. I realized, against all rationality, I harbored some romantic inclinations towards her. Huh. Nobody ever claimed I had decent timing. All too soon, I was climbing in my best friend's passenger seat. I silently watched as he pulled away from the curb, leaving a balding orderly holding the wheelchair I'd ridden throughout the bustling center. Aches still assailed me, but I clutched the amulet in one hand 
and a partially crumpled prescription in the other. My eyes crossed as the dark gray column slipped by and eventually succumbed to the lush greenery surrounding the hospital. I didn't realize the facility squatted on six acres, three of which had been transformed into a protected nature reserve. What's on your mind, brother? Scott asked, interrupting my brooding. I jumped, nearly battering my shoulder against the passenger window. Shifting in my seat, I peered across the car to my friend's solemn face. Nothing. Just glad to be out of that place, I answered, nodding my head back towards the retreating hospital. That true? Nothing's on your mind? Ahead, a small dirt patch ran alongside the road. Scott wheeled his car onto the loose embankment. Confused, I stared through the dirty windshield and waited for my friend to reveal what troubled his own mind. He killed the engine and, clasping the wheel, ground his teeth, waiting. I'm heading to the mountains. I... there are answers I need and I think that's the only place I'm going to get them. I think it's also the last place Todd will look for me. I spoke, almost sheepishly, without looking away from the swaying trees. Damn you, I figured you meant to do something stupid, he grumbled, leaning forward to rest his forehead on the leather wheel. We need to head home. Denny, I've already got a duffel pack for you and Miranda is waiting. You heard from your girlfriend? Ignoring the girlfriend quip in favor of the more important component, Miranda? Wasn't she heading to the police station to turn in her badge? To pay the piper? I ran my fingers along the pleather seatbelt, drawing it away from my chest. I'll let her explain when we get there, but suffice to say, she didn't actually head to the station. Then, as an afterthought, he added, I kinda like her. She's a tough bird, and you know that's really what we're gonna need to get through this mess. Are we handling this thing all wrong? I keep thinking he'll pop out of the shadows, that he's hiding around every corner. I can't take much more, brother. I really can't. Then, as an afterthought, I asked, Will your mom be home? He turned the key to crank the engine. Peering over his shoulder, he pulled back onto the road. We drove several silent minutes, not shifting his head, though I noted his eyes drifted to the rearview mirror more than once. Finally, he said, I convinced mom to go stay with her sister in St. Louis. She tried to fuss, but I trust me, so she finally gave in a little. We don't have to worry about her popping in. Hopefully she stays safe, I murmured non-committally. I loved his mom, but for what I meant to do, her being gone was probably for the best. Then, because he was Scott and I had little else to talk about, I told my friend everything that had occurred since looking into mom's trunk and Kara's mom giving me the amulet. Still clutched in my hand, I showed it to him at a traffic stop. My friend's eyes widened and his nostrils flared, but he wouldn't say why. Not until later anyway. One thing he said as we pulled to a stop in his driveway will always stand out to me. You know when my dad was still alive? He told me monsters come in many forms. They ain't just the ones creeping under our beds. They ain't just hiding in our shadows. Sometimes, the monsters wore a human face, all smiles and friendly words. Sometimes, 
they're the ones making you believe you're crazy. Sometimes, they're the ones making you go nuts. In the end, it's you who chooses to let them win. It's when you stop fighting, stop standing tall, that they finally have true power over you. So don't ever give them that. Don't ever turn away when you're the one who can do something. Your dad wasn't scared of anything, was he? I asked, though I was primarily being rhetorical. Oh, he was scared of plenty. At the end, he was scared he had died without making sure mom and I were okay. Scott killed the engine again, and as he also looked after his own, circumvented the car to help me out of it. I thought you said Miranda was here, I said, upon seeing no other vehicle in the driveway. She didn't want to draw attention, so her car is parked in one of those 24-hour supermarkets. Let folks think she is a particularly indecisive customer for a bit. He gripped my elbow to help me out into the warm daylight. Despite still having some aches and pains, and I probably wouldn't be filling my prescription, I felt fairly copacetic. And then, I took my first step, only to nearly tumble from his grip. Fucking son of a whore's ass! I snarled, more embarrassed than angry. That was colorful. Sorry. No problem, old man. He said with a kind, brotherly smile. You've had a rough go lately. It'll take some time to get all your energy back. Come on, let me help you inside and we'll talk some more. Deal? I nodded and allowed my friend to guide me up the drive, around the side of the house, to the level side steps. He fumbled with the key while continuing to support me. When he had pressed the silver into the waiting slot and twisted the semi-rusted knob, he led me into the Lattimore's kitchen. I nearly gasped when I lifted my head to meet the open mouth of a rather intense service revolver. Miranda's unblinking eyes rested on us as she held the weapon slightly higher than the dining room table. For an instant, she didn't seem to recognize us, and I saw her thumb pressed down on the hammer. A split second later, awareness set in. She lowered the firearm to the table and rose to help me into the room. Hello, Danny, she said softly. Her voice seemed different, and it wasn't until a few seconds later that I realized she had dropped some of the law enforcement bravado. This was just Miranda, not the detective, not the arbiter of justice, just Miranda. And as the two of them guided me into an empty seat, I couldn't prevent a minuscule feeling part trepidation, part painful agitation. Hello, officer. She chuckled mirthlessly, catching my barb, but opting to take the higher road. No, not any longer. It's just Miranda now. Scott returned to the door to close it. He rested his hand on the sturdy outer seam to pull it in, separating us from the outside world. Suddenly, he stopped and leaned further outside. Danny! I think your girlfriend is here. Huh? Kara, that chick who was in the wreck with you, she just pulled in the drive. He glanced over his shoulder at the two of us seated at the table. Scott's brows creased and he clenched the doorframe tighter as he diverted his attention outside. Can I help you, ma'am? I definitely heard Kara's voice, though it seemed weaker than I remembered it. Can I come in? I need to talk to Danny. A plea filled her voice, but my friend held his arms out, 
preventing her from peering into the house. Why? From what I hear, your moms don't want you having nothing to do with him. You best head on home before we all get in trouble. Let her in, Scott, I called. I didn't really know why I said it. Kara hadn't come to see me, and her mother had made it pretty plain I wasn't to involve her in whatever happened after leaving the hospital. Danny, is that a smart idea? Miranda whispered, tucking the gun below the table between her legs. No idea, I answered. Then to Scott, I repeated, let her in. Scott backed away from the door, holding his arm out wide to motion her inside. His face was a mask of displeasure, but he offered no more resistance. Kara looked less hurt than I felt. Granted, I had cushioned a lot of her fall when we erect. Even so, she had a bandage around most of her left arm, and I could see a square bandage poking up along the nape of her neck. Those aqua eyes dimmed to a surly sea foam as she scanned the room. Her gaze landed and held Miranda for a hair's breadth too long before drifting to me. Dressed in khaki shorts and a colorful shirt, heavily laden with mushrooms, she seemed out of place in our somber scene. What do you want? I finally opted to break the silence. I know where you're going, and I'm coming with you. This has been a Black and Grim production. The Black and Grim podcast is an original horror fiction production and cannot be reproduced without written consent from the creators. The author, Grim, owns all rights to the story. Use in other media or any attempt to reproduce must have prior written consent from the author. Thank you for joining us for episode 6 of Danny's River. We hope you will join us next time to learn what's up there in them mountains. Hey, Grim. Grim? Odd, he's usually around here somewhere. <laughs> <laughs>